very good morning and a very happy Sabbath to all of you. I have a question for you this morning. Many of you would do your daily Bible reading. I hope you do. I encourage you to do so. And you may meditate on the different Bible passages across the entire scripture. But how many of you actually would meditate on the genealogy of Jesus? Like you actually would study every name and say, oh, it's good. And by the way, in the four Gospels, only two of the Gospels uh, would have the record of the genealogy of Jesus. One is found in the Gospel of Matthew. The other one is found in the Gospel of Luke. And so, uh, this morning, I-, I want to, in this Christmas season, I thought it's good to examine the, the purpose of the genealogy of, of Jesus, both recorded in the book of Matthew and Luke. Because Matthew basically wants to show that Jesus comes from the ethnic group of the Jewish nation. He belongs to the descendant of Abraham. And he is a royal priest. He comes from the uh, royal line of King David. Leo, on the other hand, wants to show that Jesus is the saviour for all men. Not just for the Jewish nation, but for the Gentiles. So he traces the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam. So there are some differences. One traces back to David and Abraham. The other traces all the way back um, to Adam, the first man that God had created for the entire humanity. Now then the question is this, why are these genealogies, these two uh, seemingly similar but yet different genealogy of Jesus recorded in the scripture. Have you studied about your own genealogy? Uh, I, know, I think some of you in your age uh, uh, and your memory, you remember the good old days where you don't have the days of the internet. You had to go to collect your yellow pages uh, uh, from some of the car parks uh, around Singapore because they, they will be in containers, right? And the yellow pages will be like four or five volumes in thickness. And uh, they are very useful because you want to find uh, Elder Michael Lim, you flip through the limb. But it, it will take years because there will be hundreds and hundreds of pages, you know, all the limbs. Ask my father, how come when it comes to my surname, Khan, K-A-N, only two pages. In fact, it's one double-sided page, you know? Two, two pages. So you want to look for uh, the Khan family, if, you, if you've forgotten the number, you just try and call, right? Uh, most likely, uh, if you are patient enough, you, you'll hit one of the right numbers. W- why is that so? So I asked my father, um, among our an- ancestry, a- any significant character, he said, well, according to the rumour in the family, uh, uh, during the Qing dynasty, the last dynasty uh, of the Chinese uh, monarchy, as far as history is concerned, uh, one of the great-great-great-grandfathers uh, is a senior court official uh, in the Qing dynasty. I said, wow, that was good. I said, well, that, well, that, that, that would be a, a glory to, to, to the family name. But I said, rumours say that later on he was beheaded. Okay, I said, okay, 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 okay. Close, close, close that part of the chapter. Okay? We don't want to know. Okay? I said, is that why? Because after that, nobody wants to be named after Khan. So they all uh, you know, go to different places and it's only one single double silent page recorded with Khans in Singapore. Uh, I look at the whole uh, China uh, uh, family names, 
I think Pastor Tan mentioned, uh, I think Pastor Tan was, uh, I think in the, in the, in the early uh, 50s or something like that, the can out of the 300 is 224. So it's quite behind uh, the sin. But why do we study the genealogy of Jesus? I want to share with you this morning in the season of Christmas, I think it's important to know that. And if we understand that, I think it gives us a better glimpse onto the records of the four Gospels and an insight into God's redeeming grace for humanity. Number one, one woman. Uh, Mary was chosen to be the mother of Jesus. Now Mary, God showed her tremendous grace by choosing her to be the mother of the Messianic King. And uh, she was just a very ordinary woman given an extraordinary task and shown extraordinary grace. She was born as a sinner like anyone else. And uh, in fact, in Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 46, she said, my soul, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit had rejoiced in God my Saviour. When she found that she was chosen to be the human mother for the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And any teaching that exalts Mary to a level beyond a grace-safe sinner is wholly unscriptural. And so Mary did receive grace, a generous measure of grace. And God had chosen her to be the mother of the Saviour, the Messiah, the Anointed One. It was a tremendous honour and a privilege. And it was because of God's grace. Not because she had tremendous achievement. God did not choose Mary because she graduated from the University of Jerusalem. She did not appear on the fashion cover magazines in Judea. She was just an ordinary lady. But God knows the heart. So one woman, I just want to highlight uh, a few aspects of the genealogy of Jesus, both recorded in uh, Matthew and Luke. Then two men, now, because in case there are so many names, right, you will be forgotten. So I want to to, to, to highlight the genealogy at the end of it, probably, and hopefully in this Christmas season, you understand, the, you understand the essence of it. Because in the two men, especially in the genealogy found in the Gospel of Matthew, David is remembered as a man after God's own heart. But if you look at the life of David, most of you, if you look deeply, right, you will find that he is guilty of horrific sins. You look at the life of David, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, conspired to cover his sin with the treacherous murder uh, of uh, Bathsheba's husband. And David's polygamy and poor parenting produced tragic results in his own family life. When his son, uh, Amnon, raped his half-sister Tamar, he did nothing. That neglected set in motion uh, the events that darkened the final years of David, uh, David's reign. Tamar's brother Absalom murdered Amnon, his son, and tried to seize David's throne and committed public immorality with David's uh, concubines. So you, you can imagine the bizarre event recorded in the scripture. Why? If you look at the other character, two men, right? Abraham. And he is known as the father of all nations. And his descendants will be like the stars in heaven. But you look at Abraham's life, it's far from perfect. In fact, there were two incidents 
of tremendous confidence, uh, fearing for his life rather than trusting God. Two different pagan kings uh, apparently uh, were attracted to uh, his wife's, uh, Sarah's beauty. And Abraham in Genesis 12 and 20 told them that Sarah was his sister. You know the story. And he failed uh, to love and protect Sarah. Many of you, 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 you know, no, many of you are married and you ask, who is this beautiful wife of yours? And you say, oh, she's my sister. I think many of you, you will not walk home alive. <laughs> right? uh, your, 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 your wives will show you what true love is all about. Huh? And, and yet, if you look at Abraham, he failed to, to love and protect Sarah and brought shame on Sarah. And yet, these two men, both David and Abraham were sinners just like you and I. But Abraham was made the father of Israel, where the Messiah would come. And David was made the father of the royal line, when the Messiah would descend. So Jesus was the son of David, royal descent. And Jesus, the son of Abraham, racial descent. So God blessed these both men. And they became part of the genealogy of Jesus. The third thing, three periods. If you look at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, it says it's a three periods. The first period from Abraham to David. Now, if you study the Exodus, the first five books in the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, you will find that it was a time of tremendous chaos. It was a time of wandering in the desert for 40 years uh, and, and much longer period. The, it was a time of enslavement. But it was also a time of deliverance. It was a time of covenant making. It was a time of law giving. It was a time of conquest. It was a time of victory and also defeats. So the first period from David, from Abraham to David shows God's grace pursuing this group of people. Not that they were perfect, far from it. But God's grace demonstrated to their lives. The second period from David, King David, all the way to the time of exile to Babylon. And you will hear good kings' names like perhaps David, King Jehoshaphat, King Hezekiah, King Josiah. Well, they were not perfect, but at least they were known to be good kings. But how come the other names, if you look at the genealogy in Matthew 1, other kings, they literally led Israel astray and got Israel into trouble. They led Israel away from God. And this was a period almost uninterrupted decline, degeneration, apostasy, and tragedy. And there were constant defeats, conquest, exile, and the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. And so you will find that in this period, the, the, if you go back in history, right, the Israel intact as 12 tribes. Then they have the northern kingdom, known as Israel, with 10 tribes. The southern kingdom, Judah, with two tribes. The northern kingdom, um, they were destroyed by the Assyrians in uh, AD 722. When they came, they destroyed Israel, the northern kingdom, disseminated the people and forced to intermingle, intermarry with other pagans. 
And so to the time of Jesus, they were known as the Samaritans. Not pure Jews. Mixed blood. Impure. And the, the Jew, Jewish uh, nation despised them. The southern kingdom remained intact until 605 BC when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar brought his army and came. And three times, and this was one of the, this was, this was the time where the temple was destroyed and the articles was taken to, to the kingdom of Babylon. And the city of Jerusalem was, system, was systematically uh, removed. And uh, the, the, the people were sent into the different uh, areas in the Persian Empire. So this is the second period. The third period is from the time of the exile to the birth of the Messiah. And you will read the, the scripture, there were times when the Israelites were allowed to return to their homeland. What's the homeland? Jerusalem, Judea. They could rebuild the city wall. They could rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. So the genealogy records God's tremendous grace, protecting, covering, pursuing His people during this period of time. And then four outcasts. Four outcasts. You'll be surprised that uh, Judah, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, was the father of uh, Paris and Zerah. And you will find that in this genealogy of uh, in Matthew, it normally was dominated by men. But four women, this woman, were exceptional illustrations of God's grace. The first one was Tamar. Uh, Tamar was the Canaanite daughter-in-law of Judah. Uh, she gained notoriety in, uh, you will read Genesis 38, by resorting to deception, prostitution, and incest when she couldn't get a child any other way. So you read the story, Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute and tricked uh, Judah into having sexual relationships with her. And from that illicit union was born the two sons, twins, Paris and Zira. And thus Tama and her son Paris joined Judah in the messianic line, despite prostitution and incest. Can, can, you, can, can you understand? Are you with me? Despite the sins, God's grace fell on these undeserving people, including a desperate and deceptive Gentile harlot right here in the record. The second outcast was a woman and a Gentile too. And she, was make, she made prostitution her livelihood. It was Rahab. And Rahab was no paragon of virtue. But she put her faith in God of Israel and demonstrated it by protecting. Remember the story? The two men, Joshua, sent to spy out the city. And God spared her life, the life of her family members. And when Jericho was besieged and destroyed. And she was also brought into the messianic line. She wasn't a Jew at all. But she was brought into that and she became the father of Salmon and the mother of the godly boys, David's great-grandfather. The third lady, uh, I'm sorry, I must go back, uh, is Ruth. The wife of Boaz was the third outcast. She was actually a Moabite, a, a paganistic uh, tribal group, uh, have no right to marry any Israelite. But God's grace brought Ruth into the family of Israel and to Boaz into the royal line. And she became the grandmother of Israel's great king, David. The fourth outcast 
you may not have read the genealogy carefully, but you read carefully, was Bathsheba. She entered the messianic line to adultery with King David. The son of their sinful union died in infancy, but the next son born to them is named who? The wisest king of all kings, Solomon. Successor of David's throne and the continuer of the messianic line. So once again, God's grace on Bathsheba, the wife of David, the mother of Solomon, and she became the ancestor of the Messiah. So this is a beautiful demonstration, isn't it? In this Christmas season, because Christmas can be easily forgotten with what? With all the celebrations, with all the lights, with all the parties, and with all the shoppings. But if you look at the genealogy, it's to remind us that it is all because of God's grace that our names are written on the book of life. I want to end with one more. One woman, two men, three periods, four outcasts, and one curse. Say, so what do you mean? One curse. Well, if you look at this, this king, right? Um, what, what is the curse? Curse can be easily defined as uh, using a powerful words to invoke supernatural harm. Uh, thank God, many a time when we curse, uh, uh, God has never obliged to agree to grant the wishes of our curses, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, if you get angry, you curse. I remember, you know, uh, uh, no, I, I had a younger brother. My brother is here. Uh, I, I have a younger sister and I, oh, oh, I have an elder sister too. And my younger, sis, my younger sister is somehow uh, protected and loved by my dad. And sometimes we were mad with her as, as growing, in our growing up years. So you, you can't beat her, right? Because you will be beaten even more severely. Uh, by, the, the, by the patriarch. So what do you do? How do you inflict pain onto your, your sister? Okay, well, she, she had a beloved teddy bear. And so we would what? We would sometimes snatch her teddy bear uh, when, when she would be away from her room. We would take her teddy bear and then we would find needles uh, from my mother's uh, sewing table and put needles onto the teddy bear, right? Hoping to inflict harm what? on the teddy bear indirectly to her, isn't it? Emotionally, at least. And a lot of times, when we talk about curse in the biblical perspective, it's actually God's withdrawal of power and protection from our lives. And that is why then the forces of the darkness of this world will continue to ravage us. And so, uh, there's a king, King Jehoiachin. Uh, if you read, his name is part of the genealogy in the record in Matthew. And he has another name known as uh, Jeconiah. It's the same person. And in Jeremiah 22, verse 30, this is what the Lord says, Record this man as if Charles, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. Now, King Jehoshin is one of the kings in, the, uh, in, in Judea, and he has been cursed by Prophet Jeremiah. He'll be Charles, he will not prosper in his lifetime to the next generation and after. Wow. So who exactly is he? Well, you will find in the genealogy, he is listed there as Jeconiah. And why is his name is listed? There is intention. So I just want to highlight this king. Well, you will find that in 2 Chronicles uh, 
chapter 36, verse 8 to 10. It says that the other events of Jehoiakim, so that was his predecessor, reign, the detestable things he did and all that was found against him and written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiakim, his son, succeeded him as king. So Jehoiakim is the son of King Jehoiakim. And he says what? Jehoiakim was only what? 18 years old when he became king. Now, listen to, to, to this record. And he reigned in Jerusalem for how long? Very short period of time. Three months and ten days. And what did he do? He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Did evil. He is an evil king. To sum it up. And so why is his name written in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1? And if you read on in verse 10, In the spring, King Nebuchadnezzar sent for him and brought him to Babylon together with the articles of value from the temple of the Lord and make Joachim's uncle Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. Well, in, in brief summary, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem three times. First, in 605 BC, uh, you remember uh, the prophet Daniel? Uh, he was much privileged. He was taken as a prisoner of war, but educated in the University of Babylon and then promoted to be a senior court official to help in the administration and the affairs of the kingdom. In the same time, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, went to exile and he lived a terrible and difficult life. Now, that was in 605 BC. But in 597 um, BC, King Nebuchadnezzar came again because King Jehoiachin's father, uh, Jehoiakim, supposed to pay tributes to King Nebuchadnezzar, but he colluded with the Egyptians and to the anger of King Nebuchadnezzar, he came again. And this time, he did not keep the city intact. It was this time that he systematically destroyed the city of Jerusalem and uh, destroyed the temple of Jerusalem, took the articles, the valuable articles, and brought it to the city of Babylon. So it was this time that King Jehoiachin was captured as a prisoner of war together with many of his family members and they were taken to Babylon. Now, you've got to understand, uh, the Babylonian Empire had a practice. If you study history, they had conquered so many countries. They became the biggest empire of, of their time. And they would like to parade all the captured kings of the different territories and put them in the city of Babylon. From time to time, they would show them in public uh, celebration. Why? It's to show how powerful we are. Because you see, all these kings of the different territories are prisoners of war right here in the city of Babylon. So it's, it's, it's kind of a show of time. It's kind of a, uh, to demonstrate the power. And, and you find that um, parallel to that, you know, the Bible says King Jehoiachin was evil in all his ways. Now, I just want to take a reference to the second commandment. Now, it's very interesting because Seventh-day Adventists know our Ten Commandments very well so to speak. But have you actually read the second commandment in detail? The second commandment actually has a curse built in. Okay, what does it mean? Okay, let me read to you. It says, You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now it says, say what? Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the what? To the third 
and the fourth of generation of those who hate me. Hey, hey it's not fair, isn't it? How come uh, the sin of my father continues in my generation, continues in the next generation? What does it mean? Basically, in the second commandment, you know, first commandment, no, you have no other gods before me. No, very few of us will have an idol, you know, an altar of other faith in our own houses and families. But it's easy to worship image. You can worship power, you can worship popularity, you can worship money, prestige, and the list goes on and on. And then it says what? The perpetual of sin effect. In the second commandment, it says what? Goes on to the third and fourth generation. And you can see that from, from families. Even we ourselves experience that. A lot of things I learned that my father had not been right. I would not want to repeat his mistakes. It must be intentional. And it is because of the grace of God that can help us to, to turn around. But keep that in mind. Because it says the sins of the parents go on to the third and fourth generation. I think it's a warning to all families. Here, take note. That if we don't do anything, the perpetual effect of sin, God withdraws His protection, His blessings, and allows sin to run its course. And that's what it means. Okay, just hold on to this thought. But we come back to King Joachim, but there's a but. Now, in the English language, is but a good word or a bad word? It depends. What is said earlier, isn't it? If I say, Elder Michael Lim, I'm going to give you a $10,000 check. Wow. But, okay, then it's like, okay, whatever you say after that, it will not be good, right? On the other hand, you know, it's like, uh, I know you, you fail in your exam, but, wow, the but after that, most likely is something gracious and good. Here, there's a but for King Joachim. After 37 years, the Bible says, he was free. In fact, in 2 Kings, it says what? In the, in the 37 year of the exile of King Joachim, king of Judah, in that year, now, King Nebuchadnezzar had passed away. His son, known as Awang Moduk, all right, became king of Babylon. He released Joachim, king of Judah, from prison. He did this on the 27th day, or 27th day of the 12th month. Now, it says what? This king, the new king, in Babylon, spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honour higher than those of other kings who were with him in Babylon. Who were these other kings? They were all prisoners of war. Kings captured. But now, King Joachim is allowed to sit and dine the king of Babylon. And he is just below the king, but above everyone else. And then it says that, so Joachim put aside his prison clothes and what? And for the rest of his life, ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Joachim a regular allowance as long as he lived. There is a reversal of this curse. Remember earlier in prophet Jeremiah? He cursed him that he would be childless. It would be terrible to his family. But you realize that his son his grandson, their names are listed in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And it shows that what? King Joachim was shown grace. In fact, if you have a chance to visit Germany, Berlin, uh, one of the museums uh, had the cuneiform tablets. Okay? The cuneiform is basically the ta clay tablets and they will record the official records of the empire, dry it, and, and it would, they, they would have uh, kept it uh, to preserve the official records of of the king. 
and the affairs of, of the kingdom. And it was recorded that this guy, King Joachim, king of Judah, was given certain amount of rations and money and freedom in the empire of Babylon. So, this story authenticates many of the details uh, in our scripture. But what I'm trying to say is that King Joachim was shown grace and in that spiritual parallel, we learn that King Joachim was a prisoner in Babylon even though he did evil, but the new king of Babylon set him free as a prisoner of war. And God sets the believer free from the penalty of sin and gives us liberty in Christ. King Joachim is now comforted that he and his family were taken care by the new king. And God comforts the believers and takes care of our needs. King Joachim was seated above all other kings and is able to dine with the king of Babylon. Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 6 that God raised us up, God raised us up with Christ to give the believer the right to be seated with Jesus. King Joachim was given the new royal garments to reinstate his uh, royal hood and, uh, and God clothes us with the garment of righteousness that we might become prince and princesses of his kingdom. King Joachim was part of the royal family of the king of Babylon by the grace of the new king and God has adopted each of us into his royal family through his grace. And last but not least, Last but not least, King Joachim's life, his life of provision and his needs were supplied by the king of Babylon. And the Bible says, that My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. So, the reversal of the curse is because of what? Not because of his merits, not because of his money, materials, or misery. In fact, in the, uh, in the uh, Hebrew language, uh, the name uh, Awak, Maduk, like some translation, is actually has the name evil in front of his name. Can you imagine? My name is Johnny Khan, and you have uh, evil Johnny Khan. That doesn't sound right, right? Doesn't sound nice at all, right? And you would, your pastor would never have invited me to, to share the word of God right here on this stage. And imagine the evil Babylonian king show grace to King Joachim, the prisoner of war. And this is to demonstrate what? God shows His grace to all generations. And, and, and that is why, if you come back to the second commandment, what is the reversal of the curse, so to speak? He says what? But, those, but God what? Showing love to a what? To a thousand generations for those who what? Who those who love me and keep my commandments. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, the many fight grace of God demonstrated to humanity is not that we may continually perpetual in sinful living. It's to give us gracious time so that we might repent, turn from our evil ways and return to God. God has shown that to Israel. God has shown to all the folks listed both in the genealogy, Matthew chapter 1 as well as Luke chapter 3. And He is saying that to us today. And so this morning, you know, the scripture reading, I always ask my dad, it's never fair, isn't it? When he was alive, I say, you know, I was a boy, I went to church. I say, it's not fair. How come, because of Adam had committed the sin, 
that he was not supposed to, and entire humanity suffered because of him. It was never fair. I said, Dad, can you answer me? You know, he, he asked some more question. He, he didn't know how to answer. <laughs> he kind of hit you, right? Stop asking. Just come. All right? Just sit down, all right? So I didn't know. But I grew up and then I began to understand one day that it was not fair. Through Adam, all humanity suffer. Through one man. But the Bible says in Romans 5, also through one man, Jesus Christ, the new Adam, that all of us could be redeemed. So God had made it not just fair, more than fairer before. Because His grace is demonstrated in all areas of our lives. And so the genealogy recorded in both Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 is not just to write a list of individuals. Many of these characters suffer significant moral failures, probably not good examples for us in many ways, but nevertheless, they are to demonstrate the grace of God that have pursued them to full repentance so that they may come back into the fellowship and into the presence of the Almighty God. I want to borrow a story uh, this morning, the, the, the scripture reading where just Elder Michael Lim read to us. You know, I, I took this passage because it was taken when the disciples had gone out and, and they came back and reported to Jesus that they had performed miracles, you know, and, 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 and they have uh, caused the lame to walk and the blind to see. And they were very excited in their ministry endeavors. And what did Jesus say to them? In verse 20, okay, uh, verse 19 says what? Uh, it says that uh, you had the power to overcome the enemy. But verse 20, I want to take, you to take note. It says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits now you realize it's capital, it's not capital S, huh? it's small s. You're referring to the demon spirits are what? Are subject to you. So they are pretty effective and powerful, isn't it? But the Lord said, don't rejoice in that. But rejoice what? But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice not because you have the power, even in ministry. Look at the disciples. I mean, they were supercharged at this time in, in helping to extend God's messianic kingdom. But the Lord reminded them, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice if your name is written in the book of life. I thought I want to borrow a story from Philip Yancey about a teenage prostitute. A story. It says a young girl grew up in a small little town. Her parents was a bit old-fashioned. Always reacted to her nose ring, the music she listened to, the length of her skirts. And they would ground her a few times and she would utter those teenage words, I hate you, as she screamed at her dad and her mom. And uh, they had heated arguments almost uninterrupted on a daily basis. And she had mentally rehearsed that she must run away from her family. So she planned for an escape. She went to a big, faraway city where she thought the city would be safe because she couldn't see any gangs, maybe no drugs, maybe no violence. But soon, she found that was not true. And she met a man who drove the biggest car she had ever seen. And he offered her a, a ride, bought her lunch, and, and, and invited her to beautiful places. And then he gave her some pills that will make her feel better she had ever felt before. And the good life continued for a short while and came to an abrupt end. 
The man with the big car, they call him boss, taught her a few things men would like. She now would have to work for him to earn a living. Since she was underage, uh, he arranged that other men who want to have physical intimacy with her would have to pay for premium prices. She thought she ran away from freedom, but now she was in bondage and misery. And, and that lasted for several months. And one day, she saw a picture printed on the back of a milk carton with the headline. You know, you remember in the, in the 60s and 70s, when a dog was missing or a child was missing, people would print out on, on, on uh, maybe a 4 size paper you know, with a picture. You know? and then, Have you seen this child? Have you seen my child? Have you seen this boy? Have you seen this girl? And by now, because she has blonde hair with all her makeup and body piercing jewellery that she wore, nobody would mistake her for a child. And most of her friends were run away. So nobody really knew her. And life became worse. She had to work day and night, confined to limited spaces, and all the money she earned went to support her drug habits. And one night, she felt like a little girl, lost in a cold and a frightening city. And then she remembered the little town that she used to stay in, where a million cherry trees would bloom at once, and with a dog dashing through the rows and rows of, of, of trees in chase of a ball. And then she came to her senses. And she, she, she felt that night there was this pain that kind of stabbed her in her heart. And she said to herself, my dog back home is better than I do. Why am I here? So she was sobbing and at that instant, she said, I need to go home. So it was not easy because she needed to find a way to escape uh, from the uh, tyranny of this man. When she ran away, she, she called home. But back in the days, you know, uh, in, the, in the 60s and 70s, it was the answering machine. And she called home, nobody picked up. She called again, nobody picked up. It was an answering machine. And she called a third time, and this time, she left a message. She said, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. And I'm catching a bus up your way. I will get there uh, with this date and time uh, around midnight uh, tomorrow. So if you are not there, it's okay. I guess I will stay on the bus and will just travel to another town, another city. And uh, she bought her ticket. And uh, it took her seven hours to make the bus trip from the city back to her hometown. And uh, in that process, she thought she may have a flaw in her plan. What if her parents did not hear the message on their answering machine? And uh, what if they were out to travel and they did not pick up her message? Then her plan would not work at all. And she, she, she bounced back and forth throughout the seven-hour journey in the bus. And then she rehearsed these, these words. Say, she was thinking, when I see my dad, what would I say? So she, she said to herself repeatedly, not dad, I, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It wasn't your fault. It's all mine. Dad, can you forgive me? So she said these words over and over again. And every time, her throat tightened as she rehearsed them. And she hasn't apologized to anyone in years. And when the bus finally rolled into the station, you, know, you could hear the air hissing sound break you know, uh, of the bus. And a crackly voice from the bus driver over the microphone basically said this, 
15 minutes, folks, that's all we have here. The bus will only stay at the station for 15 minutes and then it will go on. 15 minutes to decide her life. So she, she took out a little compact mirror to, to, to make sure that she looked okay and smoothened her hair and removed the lipstick from, you know, and, and that was herself, her, from her teeth. And she looked at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wondered if her parents would notice. Then she stepped out of the bus, walked into the terminal, not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousand scenes that had played out in her mind prepared her for what she saw. There, in that midnight time, at that old bus terminal, on the concrete walls and plastic chairs, stood a group of 40 brothers, sisters, great-aunts, uncles, cousins, a grandmother and a great-grandmother. They were all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers and tapped across the entire wall of the bus station was uh, those days the dot matrix computer-generated banner that read, Welcome home. Out of the crowd that came to welcome her was her dad. And when she saw her dad walking toward her, she was in tears. And she said, Dad, Dad, I'm sorry. I, I know. And her dad interrupted her. Say, Cha, you got no time for that. No time for apologies. You will be late for the party. A banquet is waiting for you at home. Friends, that's grace. That is grace. And very often, the Lord demonstrates His grace to us in the same manner that have been demonstrated to all these characters as you have seen from the genealogy in Matthew 1, in Luke chapter 3. These names are written there not because they had been perfect characters and examples in the Scriptures, they had been written as examples for us that God has demonstrated grace to them, His redeeming grace, His transforming grace, His marvellous grace, so that everyone may come to repentance and to align their life with His revealed will, so that they will learn to love God for a thousand generations to come. And His blessings will overflow through your life, through, through your life so that your generation, your next generation, and the people around you will be blessed. I thought one author puts it this way. This is not the genealogy of Jesus. He said it is the genealogy of grace. I said, wow, that sums up the essence why we study Matthew chapter 1 and 3. And I pray in this Christmas season, you know, if you are wondering, uh, you go through the different Bible passages, it's always about the shepherds that had heard the good news from the angels of the birth of Jesus in the city of Bethlehem. Uh, you, you, you read the story of the, the wise man, the Magi, in search of the birth of the King, of the Messiah. But perhaps you want to focus on this time, in all these common scenes of, of the birth of Jesus. Perhaps look at the genealogy. And if these names can be written there too, through the grace of God, your name, his name, her name, my name, our names, 
too can be written on the genealogy of Jesus because now we are spiritual descendants of Abraham. We are all related in the kingdom of God. And that is why if you understand grace, then go forth and show grace. Perhaps to your children, to your grandchildren, to other members, to other friends, colleagues, family members, so that through that, may we all truly be blessed. I pray, now in Nasdaq Church, in this Christmas season, that your focus is on Christ, who has demonstrated grace since the time of Adam, in all successive generations, even to you and I today. May we learn to come humbly before Him and say, Lord, thank you. And may I respond in your word, in your counsel, in your spirit, so that my life will be a thousand blessings to you and to the people around me. May the Lord help us and bless us. Oh, may we all rise for our closing song? Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you because the genealogy in Matthew 1 and Luke 3 is a demonstration of your pursuing grace in each of every human being in the recorded history of mankind as well in the life of each of us. Thank you for 
showing us that you pursue us to extreme measures so that each of us might come to full repentance and to embrace you in our lives in a greater measure than ever before. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen.